I'm Kelsey. And I'm Kim. Welcome to At the Fast in July! <laughs> <laughs> oh, and uh, to the Massive Fans Book Club podcast. That's what you're listening to. <laughs> While we love Crescent City, we really do, we really do, we are excited to spend a few weeks celebrating the winter solstice in July. You know, since A Court of Frost and Starlight is often considered the holiday special of Sarah J. Mass's Akatar series, we decided to bring it to you in July, a la Hallmark's Christmas in July. Summer deserves to be festive, too. We are only going to be covering Akathas for the remainder of July, since this book is much shorter than the others, about half the length of Akatar and about a third of the length of Akawar in general. Much less meaty. Yeah. Yeah. That being said, we have feelings about this book. (laughs) We actually have a lot of feelings, like good and bad, but um, we generally just think it's important to the overall character arcs and definitely in in, like the world building and the building up to Silver Flames. So since we're picking that up this fall, we were like, now we got to go ahead and get Akafas in. Like what better time to do it than in July? (laughs) I like it. But before we dive in, housekeeping! This podcast is not for little ears. Mm -mm, Nope, nope, nope. Uh -uh. Never has been, never will be. (laughs) No, no, no. no. (laughs) And keep your eyes out later this month for a special winter solstice giveaway in July. I'm never going to stop pointing out to people that we're doing this in July. Like people are going to listen to this like way down, like around Christmas. They're going to be like, what is wrong with these people? Like, all right, girls, y'all are nuts. But it's okay. Anyway, the point is we're going to do a special winter solstice giveaway uh, because what's a holiday without some fun gifts? <laughs> we promise Moore has not picked any of them out. No, for the love of God, no. No. <laughs> no. So, yeah, this is going to be so much fun. Okay. We have to give you a little note here. Akathas has different chapters from different perspectives, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. different characters. And Kelsey, you're going to be taking all of the favorite chapters today. Is that correct? Yes, yes. That is the plan. That is the plan. <laughs> so, okay. So, yeah. We have feelings about the fact that these are from different perspectives, but the thought process behind me taking favorite's perspective is because overall... Feyre's storyline throughout this book is still like the main thread, which we are used to. Also, I think very important that we note like her, I guess I'll call it like emotional and like mental state throughout this book, because I think that is the arc that people miss when they read this book. I think seeing that growth around this holiday and like how she gets where she gets um like before silver flames (laughs) or for silver flames um without this book i think a lot of the comments people make about like why they don't like favorite and reese in silver flames is explained and you would like them if you had read this book but i think a lot of people gloss over this book and then their gut reaction to how favorite and reese read in silver flames is very different than if you had like remembered or like really really paid attention to how we got there it's also important because it sets nesta up for silver flames exactly and you really got to understand why 
everybody is treating her the way they are. And that happens right. in this book. So without it, you really don't understand it. I mean, even Cassian isn't like rah, 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 Nesta. Right. Right. Exactly. So um, that being said, uh, to try to like tie it together, I'm going to take over most of the favorite chapters, uh, which is chapter one. Um, so yeah, we're just going to dive in. <clears throat> it's winter. <laughs> okay, I'd be happy for a day in winter, please. Thank you. Okay, like for real. So like this whole like first paragraph, two paragraphs, first page, basically just talking about like it be snowing. It'd be snowing, it'd be cold, it'd be nice and wintry. And I'm like, wow, I don't even like winter, but that sounds great because I'm freaking sweating my ass off. Yep, yep, yep. So yeah. So anyway, she wakes up, she's alone in bed, but not like, oh God, where's Reese? No, like this is apparently like a thing that has been a thing lately. Like they're both just like very busy and it's fine. So she wakes up, Reese isn't there, not super shocking. You know, she slept in, he didn't, whatever. And so... <laughs> she kind of takes a minute and is just like kind of chilling in bed like you do when you get the whole battle on, you know? And she's looking out the window and she's looking at the snow and thinking about how like before all of this, which is not a very long period of time, by the way, but before all of this, uh, winter would have been like big, bad, ugly, like, oh dear God, please do not become winter because now we're going to freaking starve and I have to go like, you know, hunt in the woods in the cold and freeze my ass off. Like that was her life two years ago, like just two winters ago, <clears throat> just two winters ago, that was her life. And so she's just kind of reflecting on like, Oh, like now I get to like enjoy the winter in like my nice cozy bed with like my husband and my, you know, family. And for once we're not like starving imminent. Well, not only that, are we not starving, but like this new family of mine for once, we are not in imminent fear. <laughs> Of our lives. <laughs> yeah, like, for once, like, everything's, like, mm, kind of okay. <laughs> I mean, like, we have a lot of PTSD, but, like, we're kind of okay. And she's just kind of, like, mulling that over. And she does, you know, like, kind of ask down the bond, hey, like, where'd you go? And... He doesn't answer back right away, but she kind of mulls over the fact that, you know, well, I'm sure he's one of the 42 places he has been lately, which is, you know, checking in on their allies, building better trade, trying to keep tabs on the whole post-wall world border situation. So, um, you know, that's like kind of a lot. And then she vaguely references, you know... <laughs> It's funny because she does eventually tell us, but she just vaguely references first. She's like, well, and I've been busy with my own work too. And then she starts talking about her breakfast and you're like, Farah, I'm really going to need you to explain what your work is or I'm going to assume it's eating breakfast. <laughs> I think we can safely say her ADD has kicked in. <laughs> remember how we used to complain about that? Not so much in Akawar. It wasn't so bad in Akawar, but remember like back in Akadar, we'd be like, bitch, what? <laughs> Ooh, and in Akamath, it was really bad. I remember it was really bad. Yeah, so yeah, her, her like, yeah, her, her way to string a sentence and the whole thing being a little off kilter. Yep, back in session, baby. <laughs> But she eats her breakfast. She's like, nah, brah, I'll do my own dishes. I don't need, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm easy peasy. 
and she starts chatting uh with her her ghosty girls and <laughs> they're just like mm, you know it's gonna be nice and snowy we're gonna have a nice white solstice and i literally have a note here that says kim we're idiots if white christmas is not on our playlist <laughs> well yeah but not on this one yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying it needs to be. So uh, I was like, because this is not the first time that somebody's going to be like, it's going to be a white solstice. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> but anyway, it's just cute. They're just like chatting. Oh, it's going to be like so snowy. Like, it's going to be so nice. Like, eh, they're just doing like kind of cutesy. I'd like to say this is like the part that feels very like beginning of a Hallmark movie where you're just like, mm, look, people are really making sure I understand that it is winter and that Christmas is like six days away or whatever. <laughs> so we're doing that. Yeah, we're doing the Hallmark movie, like, you know, big circle on a calendar explaining the date situation here. Yep, yep. Um, but it's interesting because Favor does think about like, yeah, like, you know, so, you know, two years ago, I would have been like freezing my ass off trying to get us some food, you know, and about a year ago is when Reese had called in his bargain for the first time. Just under a year. Yeah. Yeah. That's what she says. She's like nearly a year. So it's just kind of interesting because like so much has changed and so much has happened. And so it's just interesting because she's thinking about that. And then she has, I don't know, I just really liked this, so I'm going to read it. She just kind of has like a whole, she has like a whole moment. I'm going to put it that way. She has a whole moment where she at first is like, yeah, yeah, you know, so it's great. Like, you know, everything's fine. Everything's fine. I mean, except for the times when it's not fine. (laughs) So she says... My mate, who had worked so hard and so selflessly, all without hope that I would ever be with him. We had both fought for that love, bled for it. Reese had died for it. I still saw that moment in my sleeping and waking dreams. How his face had looked, how his chest had not risen, how the bond between us had shredded into ribbons. I still felt it. That hollowness in my chest where the bond had been, where he had been. Even now, with that bond again flowing between us like a river of star-flecked night, the echo of it vanished, lingered. Drew me from sleep, drew me from a conversation, a painting, a meal. Reese knew exactly why there were nights when I would cling tighter to him, why there were moments in the bright, clear sunshine that I would grip his hand. He knew because I knew why his eyes sometimes turned distant, why he occasionally just blinked at all of us as if not quite believing it and rubbed his chest as if to ease an ache. And it's like, oh, <laughs> okay, this is like one of my, like, this is like the point of why this book is important, <laughs> because I think it's really easy in those first, like, three pages where it's just like, yeah, yeah, it's almost Christmas, it's nice and snowy, oh, I have PTSD, and I mentioned I've heard, <laughs> like, I can see how you would miss that. <laughs> Hello. Like, I can, I can see how you'd be like, yeah, 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 it's snowing, yeah, 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 Christmas. But like, oh, that was a lot. And she just told us a lot about where she's at. Because she goes on to explain that like, working and doing all the things that like she and Reese are doing to like help rebuild Valaris, like that makes her feel better. It makes her feel more grounded, gives her a focus, you know. A purpose. I mean, it, it's important. I mean... Yeah. 
Think and, about every major situation that we've ever been in. What's the first right. thing you do is you find a way to help others who need it. Right. And so doing that has definitely helped, but then you have to stop and like <laughs> put your thinking cap on for a second and think about how like, that's great. But also how many people do you know that avoid actually dealing with their trauma by doing? And I think that like, that's the part that's really easy to miss in here which is she's acknowledging that she has trauma, but she's only vaguely acknowledging it. She's not actually like actively working through it so much as just acknowledging like, it's a thing that happens. Yeah, it's trauma. I'm okay though. And it's like, okay, but are you? Because you're kind of just working so that you ignore it. I don't think you're working through it. And so anyway, she explains that like, you know, obviously rebuilding Valaris is like a lot. Um, and then on top of that, there's, like, all these other, like, <laughs> semi-mundane, but, like, also, duh, tasks of, like, oh, I don't know, like, being a high lady and, like, a high lord of a fucking court, right? I mean, remember, like, all that dumb blah bullshit we had to read at the beginning of Acmouth <laughs> when she was doing it in the spring court? Well, I got bad news for y'all. She pretty much does the same boring shit here, right? Um, minus the tithe. I'm sure there's a taxing situation uh, because cities need taxes, but... <laughs> No tithe. <laughs> no tithe. None of that bullshit. They're in the modern era for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they just pay sales tax and maybe they have property tax. Um, <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Who knows? Maybe? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. But they ain't got none of that tithe shit. Uh, but they do have to, like, keep an eye on the whole like Illyrian business we'll get into that that one's its own fucking mess of shit then we got like the hewn city mess of shit which is its own <laughs> I repeat mess of shit and then there's just like she says kind of vaguely like and then there's just like the whole fucking night court right there's just like all of like Valaris and the shit that is like you know running a fucking place and so and then there's, like, also, you know, like, the rest of Prithian is still a fucking disaster, too, right? So, I mean, yeah, basically, it's kind of like, hey, like, we're all building, and there are no wars at the moment, but that's also because, like, we're missing a lot of houses and important buildings, and, like, oh, look at all uh, homeless people, and we probably have, like, you know, we're probably short on things like grain or something. <laughs> like, you just gotta assume there's, like, issues, <laughs> And so she just kind of says, like, all of that, you know, takes up her whole day to day. So she doesn't spend a lot of time thinking about her drama. Uh, so anyway, she's back to just chatting about, you know, oh, like, so, like, winter solstice. Like, it's still, like, a thing here, even though it's, like, more of, like, a winter holiday, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, like, it's big. Like, we do, do a whole thing. And she's like. Should we do a whole thing? And she asks, like, is there a ceremony? Because she, like, definitely still has feelings about all the bullshit she went through in the spring court. So she's like, is there a ceremony? kind of ruined services of any kind for her. Exactly. So she's like, is there a spring? Like, is there a ceremony I gotta go to? And they're like, I mean, yeah, but, like, nobody goes. So, I mean, I hate to say it, it's kind of like church services on Christmas Eve. It's like, yeah, but only, like, you know. 12% of the celebrating population actually shows up. <laughs> Everybody else is like, eh, closest Sunday is good enough. <laughs> and so she's like, oh, okay, so I don't gotta like go to anything. And they're like, no, 
We just like do fun shit. And she's like, oh, okay, thank God. Like, I really did not want to like be dragged to some random ass temple. She also, though, in the middle of having this conversation, kind of has a moment where she like blanks out and she says like she has to shut out the image that tore through my mind. Nesta leaning over a wounded Cassie and the two of them prepared to die together against the King of Highburn, my father's corpse behind them. Like these things just haunt her like mid conversation. Yeah. So <laughs> just setting <laughs> the tone for like what's happening with Farah. So she, uh, you know, tries to ignore that and she's just like, mm, uh huh. Yeah. Like I went to a crappy ceremony once <laughs> and she thinks back to being like stuffed in those ugly dresses she didn't like, having to like parade around in front of the spring court. And, you know, like she's like, yeah, it was just like a lot. And then all of a sudden her brain in the middle of that is like, yeah, big ugly dresses silver silver and sapphire bands weird ugly shit the weaver oh i could see her too see striga standing before the king of highburn covered in the blood of her prey as he took her head in his hands and snapped her neck and threw her to his beast she's like mm-hmm. anyway i think i'm in my room <laughs> like i just feel so bad for her it's crazy i mean i i can't imagine literally having your your mind bounce around from thing to thing yeah. like I, I cannot begin to imagine oh. yeah yeah I'm like it's just exactly and so I guess that's where we're supposed to like gather right now is that like this is Farrah's brain space right now which is um we don't really recover we are just uh surviving like on the bare yeah we're just doing like bare minimum <laughs> And she does go back to their room, which kind of has a moment where she's like, our room, it's a small room, but it has both of our things, which is like kind of cute. Then she's like, okay, but also like, it's literally getting smaller by the day because like, I got all of my work papers and he's got all of his books and I've got my jewelry and clothes and he's got daggers and blades and quivers and I got bows and stuff. And like, basically she's just like, we have too much shit in here. Right. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I could stick it in like basically the imaginary broom closets between worlds and realms because you know, that's a thing Faye can do. But she's like, I think at the end of the day, we really just like got to get our shit together though. Like, <laughs> Can this problem i laughed because all i could think was mm, remember a couple years ago when we all marie condoed together <laughs> when like society together marie condoed <laughs> i guess i never really did the marie condo thing yeah the marie condo thing was like i don't know like three years ago or something but anyway the point is is like there was that time period where we all marie condoed together and i think that favorite is experiencing that moment where you're like mm, it's winter holiday i have a few days off from work what can i do i'm gonna become a new person for the new year because i'm going to clean my underwear drawer <laughs> so that's kind of <laughs> i say that and then i go but i swear this book is important I swear this book is important. <laughs> anyway, so she, yeah, she basically, the whole thing is that it's setting up, it, like I said, it's like silly kind of, but it's setting up the point that she makes about how like actually the whole house is kind of the problem because <laughs> people don't leave. I mean, they do, but they don't. So Elaine is still like chilling in a room down the hall, which is like fine. She's quiet. She's probably a pretty good roommate by all means, but like she's there just like dragging ass all the time, right? Like that's got to be kind of depressing. 
And then Nesta moved out, and we're going to find out later that Nesta basically went out of her way to find the only slum in Polaris. <laughs> talent. Absolute talent to do that. Exactly. And then, like, Lucian also moved out, but it seems kind of vague to me because they say that he, like, moved out and he found his own place. But then, like, if you really listen to, like, the way they talk about it, it seems like he must still be there a lot. Not, like, a lot, a lot, but, like, when he's in Valaris, he must be at their house. Because otherwise, what the hell is he doing in Valaris? Exactly. I don't know. It's so So, so like, he has his own place, but I kind of get the feeling that, like, that doesn't super help. Because he must still be skulking around. Because we know that when he is in Valaris, he's basically puppy-doggy-eyeing Elaine the whole time. Which means he's at their house, because Elaine don't leave. So even though not as many people live there and then like obviously like all our inner circle peeps like the bad boys don't live there but if they like get drunk they stay there same with like more she like spends the night sometimes like it's fine it's all fine and dandy and cute and whatever but it's just feeling very cramped. Yeah. Tight quarters. Yeah, it's just feeling some sort of way. And then because she's going through this list in her head, like she do, she kind of stops and she thinks about Lucian for a minute, mostly for the reader benefit to give us kind of what has Lucian been up to? Well, here's what he's been up to. I hadn't asked Lucian any questions about that visit to Tamlin. Lucian hadn't explained the black eye or the cut lip either. He'd only asked Reese and me if we knew of a place to stay in Valaris since he didn't wish to inconvenience us in his inconvenience us any further by staying at the townhouse and did not wish to be isolated at the house of wind he hadn't mentioned elaine or his proximity to her elaine had not asked him to stay or to go and whether she cared about the bruises on his face she certainly hadn't let on but lucian had remained and found ways to keep busy often gone for days or weeks at a time yet even with lucian and nesta staying in their own apartments the townhouse was a bit small these days so like she just kind of like I said, she says that, like, he moved out, and then she's like, oh, yeah, like, he and Elaine aren't, like, a thing. But, like, later in this section, I think it's I think it's Reese's chapter where Reese is like, yeah, but he's, like, still here a lot. <laughs> and then it's, like, a whole thing, too, where she's thinking, like, well, we could move over to the House of Wind, but, like, it, we kind of have, like, a Goldilocks situation going on where she's like, this house is too small. The house of wind is too big and lonely. (laughs) And so we just have like a three bears thing happening. And it really just comes down to, I think that she's trying to explain this is their home, but like, this is their, like their inner circle family home. Not like her and Reese as husband and wife home. And all of this goes kind of gets summed up into she makes a joke to herself about how she's High Lady of the Night Court, Defender of the Rainbow and the Desk. Because she just like has so much fucking shit on her desk where she's just like, oh my God, I have like letters I have to answer. I have uh, caught, you know, uh, records of our, our bookkeeping and, you know, what we need to pay out. We have lists, we have maps, we have just shit everywhere i feel like the answer is that they need to marie condo and they also need an office a designated office space outside of the bedroom how hgtv does that sound she does also make a reference to the fact that they could hire a secretary if they wanted to uh it's not like they don't have enough money 
But I guess uh, since it's kind of like a moment where it's like, oh, well, like Reese handled all this on his own. And now I'm here. I should be able to help him. He never hired a secretary. So I am not going to hire one. It's like cute and also dumb at the same time. Because uh, life is just different now than it ever was before. And that's pretty much how this whole chapter just like rounds out. It's her basically just being like, mm, like, I have a lot going on. And everybody is trying their best to help. Like everybody in Valaris is like pulling together and doing the thing. And everybody in the inner circle is like pulling together and doing the thing, but it feels still hard and too much. Okay. I'm not going to lie. I like took a really long pause and then, <laughs> so like I, I finished out my thought process. Then I took a really long pause and I was like, eh, it's fine. I'll carry on. But then I couldn't find my note and it just came out stupid. So I'm just going to go back to where I was. And <laughs> I'm sure you have something to say. The last thing I said, the last thing I said was, um, that basically the whole thing wraps up with the fact that it's not just that their house is like too small or that the house of wind is too big. It's just basically that this is like their collective inner circle home. It doesn't feel like recent favor, husband and wife home. Right. No, and that's true. Absolutely. And then I, I also just feel like we could also sum all of this up by saying that I don't think that Marie condoing is enough. I think what they're going to have to do is separate their office space from their sleep space. <laughs> like all this house and you couldn't figure out where to put a designated office. <laughs> I know very HGTV of me to suggest, but I think they need to separate their office place from their sleep space. I would agree actually though. I mean, it's important that they, I mean, you have to have that. I know I do that. I mean, Oh, for sure. The best thing I've done is to have an office here, so. Oh, yeah. New house, uh, that was a requirement, was having an office, and thank God. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's important for all of us. And then she does a whole thing where she's like, I guess I could hire a secretary, but Reese never needed a secretary, and it was just him before, and now I'm here, and I'm here to help, and blah, I don't know. It's, like, some bullshit, because it's always, like, a grass, like, it's always, like, a, like, your perception versus reality thing, where she, I think, thinks she has to do it all on her own, because Reese was doing it all on his own, but, like, okay, but, like, Valaris wasn't falling apart last time Reese was doing this all on his own, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, and... Honestly, was Reese really handling it well all on his own? Right, right. So, yeah. So there's like that whole thing uh, going on in her head. Finally, she does hear from Reese. Like, if you recall, she had called down like, yo, where are you at though? And <laughs> he does finally answer that he's at Devlin's camp. And she's like, really? It took you this long to respond? And he says, Cassian was ranting. He didn't take a breath. She says, my poor Illyrian baby, we certainly do torment you, don't we? Oh, poor baby. <laughs> Which is kind of hilarious. Um, but really, that's just setting up the fact that now we have a Cassian uh, Reese storyline going. So, yeah, that's the end of chapter one. <laughs> oh, my. Well, chapter two picks up with Resand from his point of view. And yes, Resand is in Windhaven with Cassian, uh, dealing with Devlin, who's being a complete and total jackass yeah i mean but like what else is new and like you know grass is green water's wet right you know and apparently they want the the girls to be starting to do some training just like the men 
and devils mm-hmm. up after they do their chores. He's such a misogynistic yeah. pig. And, you know, it's like they just Cassian's really adamant about this, and so he brought Reese in because Reese agrees with him, but he brought Reese in to kind of be the hammer on the back end of all this. Sure. Because Illyrians are so backwards that they don't see what they require the women to do as drudgery. And I'm I'm gonna read this little section of how it I was gonna about. say, yeah, I highlighted that. I thought it was fascinating. Interesting. So for the warriors, training in the various rings that it opened onto a sheer drop to the small valley floor below, those not present out on patrol, for the males who hadn't made the cut, tending to various trades, whether merchants or blacksmiths or cobblers, and for the females, drudgery. They didn't see it as such, none of them did, but their required tasks, whether old or young, remained the same. Cooking, cleaning, child-rearing, clothes-making, laundry. There was honor in such tasks, pride and good work to be found in them, but not when every single one of the females here was expected to do it. And if they shirked those duties, either one of the half-dozen camp mothers or whatever males controlled their lives would punish them. I mean, this is like medieval backwards shit. But then that was also really interesting to me because I will make this point later in this episode a little bit, but mostly later in this book. Please note that there is a moment in this where this is from Reese's perspective, don't forget. And even he says about all of those tasks that the women are like asked to do, right? He says, there was honor in such tasks, pride and good work to be found in them. And that the failure here isn't that there are women who do these things. The failure is that they are being forced to do these things. Exactly. Before they can do anything else. Right. Well, or sometimes just period. Like, like up until recently, it was just period. Like, now it's, like, held over their heads. Like, they're only allowed to train if they've done these things. And the reason I say this is important is because it's going to come back later, where there's, like, a problem that people have with the plot of this book. And I think that their problem is short-sighted because they are ignoring things like this statement. I agree. Which is not that the problem is the child rearing and the chores doing and the clothes making, the laundry folding. (laughs) The problem is being forced to do these things. Exactly. And I think, I sometimes think people do forget that, that this is, I mean, Reese is such a progressive male um, for for a fantasy series. I mean, he is like, he and Cassian and Azrael are all very broad-minded and Mm -hmm. very women's empowerment truly and i i think that's the key though and i think that's what's like what i think always irks me about the whole like women's empowerment thing is like we will get into it later like i said it's more of a the next two episodes problem than this one but the long story short of it is is people feel like this story is not empowering to women and i disagree because of statements like this one where, and I'm going to keep saying it, the problem isn't the chores doing, the problem is forcing them. Correct. Correct. If you are choosing that, then it goes back to what he said before, which is there is honor in these tasks, okay? I'm coming back to this for a reason. I'm making a big deal out of this because of a point I'm going to make in the next episode. But anyway. (laughs) 
because he even continues this thought and he says you know these are traditions and he goes especially here where change was slower than the melting glaciers scattered amongst these mountains traditions going back thousands of years left mostly unchallenged until us until now right that's so huge because Reese is like, yeah, I'm the first High Lord who's kind of been like, mm, no. <laughs> right. Maybe there's another way. Exactly. And I think, you know, I, I agree with you. I think people forget that, that, you know, Reese and Cassian are trying, they're trying to move a glacier, mm-hmm. but you can only move it. It's like, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? You know, right. and, and it's really kind of how you have to do this. They have a long-term goal. They've been slowly working on it for the last several hundred years. But it is what it is, you know? So I'm intrigued at, at, you know, how this plays out within this story and then into the next, for that matter. For sure. Um, So anyway, Devlin's bullshitting them and feeding both Reese and Cassian all this crap about what the girls have to do and they have to do it before they have to get all their chores done before they can train. And Cassian's like, the hell they train first. And Reese finally comes in and he's finally like, if Cassian says it's an order, it's an order. Yeah. He's like, look, he's coming in in the heavy behind Cass. And then Devlin starts arguing with Cassian about time and Reese finally comes in and says, 90 minutes every day before chores. And when it comes to the solstice, because Devlin's whole bullshit thing is, is the boys need a nice solstice after all they endured. Let the girls give them one. So whack. And I love how Reese responds to it, though. The boys can help decorate, clean, and cook. They've got two hands. And Devlin's like, well, some do. Some came home without one. And, you know, he's like, so Reese comes back and he's like, an hour and a half every morning, then they do the housework. The male's pitching in whenever they can. Do not forget that a great number of the females, Devlin, also suffered losses. Perhaps not a hand, but their husbands and sons and brothers we're out on those battlefields. Everyone helps prepare for the holiday. And everyone gets to train. Oh my. Well, and I love this because I sort of get the feeling that what has happened here that we're not seeing is that <laughs> you and I talk about this all the time, like especially where we used to work, where it's like sometimes you just got to talk to people like they need to be talked to. And I yes. get the feeling that Cassian has been saying this shit for weeks and getting nowhere you know what i mean and so finally it was that reese came in and basically just finally said what has been said what cassian has already fucking said but this time it's coming from the high lord so they're gonna listen of course like i said he came in to be the hammer and it's not fun not a fun place to be because let me tell you this last week at work i was the hammer a whole hell of a lot with some of the I, I had the principal roll down pat because I had kids. Every time I turned around, I had another kid in the office with me because there was a problem. Like, That's funny. God, it's like 
I, I, I was telling you about this earlier and I joke about it. It's like, I felt like I've been in the third quarter of the school year. That's kind of where we yeah. are in the summer. And I'm just like, these kids are nuts. Yeah. So I, feel, yeah. I feel this. I totally feel where Reese is coming from. Yeah, where he's just like done. But he also knows that like cussing Devlin out is not going to work. Trying to punish oh, Devlin is not going to work. Like he's not going to convince Devlin. So he has to give him just very clear instructions. Impressive. 90 minutes, do what you do. Boys got to help. You shut the hell up. Got it. <laughs> I love it. I love that, that that is what it is. And then Reese, he motions to Cassian. All right, we got to go. We're going to go. We, we need to leave. <laughs> they right, go to Reese's right. mother's house. And, you know, as they're walking over, Reese is thinking to himself, I really need a vacation. <laughs> right. Which, like, fair, my dude, you do need a vacation. I'm not sure where the vacation homes of Prithian are since everything's decimated, but you know, knock yourself out. But you know, he's he. I like how he explains it. He's like, not a holiday to rest, not to visit anywhere, but just spend more than a handful of hours in the same bed as my mate. Which, like, also is like a fair statement. Like, I think we live in a society. Like, okay, this is actually is like the unpopular opinion but i'm gonna say it i think this is i think this is why people hate this book because this book is actually um very realistic to how most of us live our lives Uh uh-huh which is we are dealing with things we don't have time to deal with things so we do the things that have to have like have to be done you know what i mean i have to do i have to go to work i have to do laundry or I'll be naked. I have to take out the trash or we're screwed. I have to make dinner or I'll starve to death. You do your have to do's. And that puts off not only your would like to do's, like actually spending time with your partner or like sleeping in or whatever, but also it puts off the things that you should do, like go to therapy. (laughs) Yeah. And so I, I, like, I think it's probably an unpopular opinion. I think a lot of people are going to be like, no, I just hate this book because it's boring or because it doesn't have much plot. But honestly, I think the problem is, is that people don't like that this plot calls them on their own bullshit, which is um, sometimes uh, relationships and life are not butterflies and rainbows, but they're also not fucking full on wars. They're just uh, therapy and family holidays. And surviving. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, I agree, because I'll tell you what, man, I get it. It's, it is, it's survival. I mean, yeah, you and I both know this. We know, I mean, and I, and I get where Reese is coming from, because, I mean, fuck, they're newlyweds. I mean, for all intents and right, purposes, right. they're newlyweds. What the fuck? Right, exactly. Not all newlyweds, not, not everybody gets married and then gets fucking stuck in their house with their spouse for a year because COVID happens. I'm not talking about myself. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, but it's like not as much fun as it sounds. <laughs> the opposite is also true. I, th- I think if Reese was also stuck in the confines of the townhouse with everybody, he'd also cry. Maybe? I don't know. He's an odd duck when it comes to all that. He also has like more money and more things than probably we did in our home. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, my husband and I aren't newlyweds, but yeah, after a while, I was like, all right, I love you. Go away. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, it's just... See what I mean? Grass is always greener. 
and you know, and here's the thing, like it, it wasn't just that. I mean, you had a baby, but I have a tween and I don't know which would have been worse. I mean, truly, Ain't that the truth. Ain't that the truth. <laughs> you know, it's totally changed the whole dynamic. And now you're like, oh my God, what the fuck am I doing now? See, and the irony of this conversation is this conversation also happens in this book. And that's why people are mad. <laughs> because you and I are just tough spitballing about life. And I got bad news for you guys. If this conversation is boring you, then I have bad news about the end of uh, Akafas Because basically they have this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Well, welcome to life i mean well right like i said that's that's how i feel about this book it's yeah. not it is not sunshine roses and rainbows i will with unicorns no. i mean I, i'm with you it's not yeah. i mean it's work yep 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 not exciting some days yep, yep, I mean, yep. and i don't want people to misunderstand i adore my husband i adore my child but living in the same house with them day in and day out for a year with very little reprieve i was kind of ready to like check them both to the wind for about five days yeah 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 fair so i mean that in the best possible way and i guarantee you my husband probably felt the same way (laughs) yeah i yeah so because he told me i hate tweens will do that <laughs> tweens, tweens, and Nesta will do that. <laughs> yeah, my, my child is the Nesta in my life. What can I say? I get it. It's fine. Absolutely no judgment here. <laughs> I, I really don't think that he would. Well, I don't think he'd appreciate me saying that, but it is true. But he has no idea who Nesta is, so it's probably okay. Um. So they're in the they're they're in the house and and. Reese is like, look, is there anything else I need to know? And Cassian shuts the door and he's like, look, dissension's brewing with so many clans gathering for the solstice. It'll be a chance for them to spread it even more. And Cassian's like, it's not like it was before, before you, me, and as. We were resented for what we were, who we were. But this time, we sent them into battle. I sent them, Reese. And now it's not only the warrior pricks who are grumbling, but also the females. They believe you and I marched them south as revenge for our own treatment as children. They think we specifically stationed some of the males on the front lines as payback. And I'm thinking to myself, but this is a warrior society? Right. I, I, yeah, this blows my mind. I'm not going to lie. Like, feels a little bit like a plot hole on SJM's part. Because, yeah, they're a warrior society, so I already think this is bullshit. And then also, I sort of hate to say it, but, like, also, who fucking cares? Like, what do you, you really mean to tell me that this group of people is like, oh, my God, our high lord sent us the battle to die. Well, yes, he fucking did, and he's the high lord. What are you going to do about it? Because you guys are the army, and you you take pride on being the army. So Right, so, like, I don't understand, like, I don't understand. Not only is that out of character for Reese, Reese and Cassian wouldn't do that, but then also... 
the idea that even if they would, that you could be like that you could do anything about it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't really understand what their goal is. They're like, ugh. Like, I don't really understand. It just feels like, like a rumor mill where there's like, oh my God, can you believe they sent them in to get murdered? Oh my God, they're doing it as payback. Okay, but like, he could also like blink and you're all dead. So, what, like, what is the point of this? I agree. It's like they forget Reese is the High Lord. They really do because they resent him because he's a quote unquote half breed. Right, but could you imagine that? I mean, I, you know what? I take it back. I was about to be like, could you imagine that thought process? Could you imagine living somewhere where everybody's so fucking stupid that they don't understand who's in charge? And then I was like, never mind. Um. <laughs> never mind. I just answered my own fucking question. <laughs> I repeat, this book is too true to life, and that's why everybody's mad. Anyway, and it would be so bad, but like you and I are sitting here literally staring at each other, and I'm just like, oh my god. Yeah, I forgot. Actually, we live in the Illyrian War Camp, Kim, so never fucking mind. <laughs> we do. God help us. Um, anyway, Reese is like, okay, we can't kill our way out of this one like he did with the rogue war bands ever in right. So now they've got to kind of figure shit out, you know? It's like, all right, well, okay. And, you know, Cassian continues. He's like, a lot of them are coming in for the solstice. I can stay here. I can keep an eye on things. Maybe hand out presents to the children, some of the wives, things that they really need but are too proud to ask for. And Reese is like, it was a solid idea, but it can wait. I want you home for solstice. No. And Cassie's like, but I don't mind. And Reese is like, I want you home in Valaris. Yeah. He's like, we're spending solstice together. All of us. <laughs> Welcome to enforced family time, ladies and gentlemen. Right, right. Like I said, this just all hits too close to home for most of us. <laughs> and then Cassie's like, all right, what the fuck is up your ass? basically because yeah he knows something's bothering him and you know he's like wound a little tight reese <laughs> and he's just like i just want to jump ahead to next week because he's been going at 100 miles a minute and he yeah just wants... dude's just fucking burnt out yeah he just wants a couple of days to not be going a million miles a minute i can appreciate that well, and this is also where we find out that he, like Feyre, is having kind of that problem. Yes. Yes. This is, it's not unique to Feyre. Feyre just, Reese doesn't really show this side to her, I think mm-hmm. is a good way of putting it. I think, yeah, I think the two of them don't talk about it. And it's not because it's a secret, but because it's just vaguely understood. Yeah. Like, oh, you also have bad flashbacks in the middle of conversations? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Me too. Like, I don't think they talk about exactly what that looks like. It, yeah. And after the war and everything that's happened, and now that he and Favor are together, Reese really just wants, he wants his family, the inner circle, home to celebrate the solstice. You well, know right. I- because 
Right, because that's the problem. Is, is as he's talking to Cassian, and Cassian's like, "Why? Like, what's the big deal?" You know, being like a college bro who's not sure he's coming home for Christmas, and Mom's like, "Please." <laughs> and it's because in his head he thinks twice, twice in the span of a matter of weeks it had happened. I still saw him bleeding, hauled off by Azrael on the battlefield, blood spilling down his legs into the mud, his wound a gaping maw that sliced down the center of his body and I still saw him as Feyre had seen him after she'd let me into her mind to reveal what exactly had occurred between his sister, her sisters and the King of Highburn. Still saw Cassian broken and bleeding on the ground, begging Nesta to run. And so it's like Cassian's just looking at it like, what's the big deal, man? Like, I'll see you next Thursday. We'll get a beer. Like, who cares what we do for solstice? Like, you know what I mean? But meanwhile, Reese is like having this meltdown in his head where he just, when he looks at his friend, he sees his friend basically on death's door, you know? Somebody came up to say hello. I'm, I'm going to interrupt this all for a minute. One of my cats came up. And she's now cuddled up in my arms, and she's just like laying here, kind of looking at Kelsey. She's like, like oh yeah. She's like, oh snugs. <laughs> I'm getting mama snuggles. I'm getting mama snuggles, Aunt Kelsey. Please excuse me. I'm getting my mommy cuddles. Um. Anyway, I just I find it interesting that that's kind of kind of where everybody is. Like they're they're all yeah. kind of. In mental space and I think that's the one thing about this book that I like because you get it from all the different perspectives so sure. you actually see that yes oh my god they're all fucked up right right which like obviously you and I have been saying for you know <laughs> books and books and chapters and chapters and episodes and episodes but like now we actually get to see what that looks like for each of them exactly exactly so you know Reese does look at Cassie and he's like look is Devlin one of the problems? And Cassie's like, no, he shuts that shit down. But, you know, the problem is, is that it's in lots of other places. So, unfortunately, Reese is like, all right, keep an eye on it. I have to go. Because he has to go meet with some of the priestesses and Cesare because of pilgrims and what are they going to do about people who want to visit the temple yada 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 and then of course Cassian's like so I, I assume our solstice day tradition will still be on then despite you being such a grown up mated male <laughs> to which Reese responds well I would hate for you Illyrian babies to miss me so they they kind of they do their things they part ways they have discussed at this point who all will be there for solstice yeah like cassian finally like uh acknowledges the elephant in the room which is that he was bullshitting around solstice because he didn't want to ask but now he has to like oh it's not gonna be there <laughs> the answer is yes even if reese has to drag her there kicking and screaming she will be there um you know it just he's Reese is a little freaked out about Solstice because not only is it, you know, Solstice and the first time with all their family, but it's Farah's birthday. But it's not just any birthday. birthday. <laughs> it's your 21st birthday. Now, I don't know about all y'all, but I know what I was doing on my 21st birthday. <laughs> yeah, well, like I had, 
Yeah, but like I hadn't like fought in a war. So like if oh. I fought in a war and was married now, my twenty first birthday would look different. It wouldn't yeah. have involved ugly hats and tequila. Exactly. <laughs> I well, I don't know. I still might have ended up at the Irish pub, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Like, anyway. now, thinking about Farrah, you know, it's funny, because, like, now it's, like, some of the bullshit we've given Farrah up to this point, I'm like, you know what, in fairness, my brain probably went a mile a minute at 21, too. Like, <laughs> I probably also came off as having, like, ADHD, too. <laughs> like. What do we care? But also, please note, this is a fantasy book, so 21, it doesn't, it's kind of irrelevant. <laughs> it's not, it's not like how we celebrate it now, no. Yeah, like she's probably yeah. been drinking since she was like 12, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. She, there's no schooling. It's not like she just graduated college, like. Yeah, no, I agree. So. <laughs> the numbers kind of like, meh. <laughs> well, and, and Cassian gives Reese the little, y'all are fine. Y'all are like the stuff of fairy tales, man. I'm kind of right. jealous. He, as, as Cassian says to her, it's the legends, the lies they spin us when we're children about the glory and wonder of the mating bond. I thought it was all bullshit. Then you two came along. <laughs> I know. I know, which is really cute. It's, it's very cute and very sweet. And he's trying to reassure Reese that, no, everything's fine. You and Pharaoh are good. Why are you freaking the fuck out? Chill out, dude. In fairness, small uh, aside, I when I read this a couple days ago, I was like, this feels weird. Like, why does Reese feel like this? This feels weird. Like, how, like, what? Like, it, it just felt uncomfortable. However, small sidebar, I'm also listening to the Akatar audiographic right now. And because I just, like, I only have, like, two chapters left. Because I had just listened to that. Actually, now I, I, I'm glad I did. Because now I kind of do understand why he feels like that. And that's because we forget, we forget, we take for granted that he has always known that he loved her. Yes. She did not. Not only did she not, she actually really hated his guts. Yes. Like, not like sort of a little bit. No, like really had moments where she was like, where is a weapon to kill this motherfucker? Exactly. And he, because he can read minds and she was human at the time absolutely without a doubt knows that uh, uh, yeah and i think that's the part that we take for granted because like you kind of read this and you're like oh my god but like you guys have been together for two books you had your big moment you had chapters 54 and 55 like you're good now <laughs> and it's like okay but actually they're not because Feyre can write that off Feyre can go nah, i thought i was in love with tamil i'm not i love him everything is fine reese okay. though can probably in his head hear and remember exactly what it was like for her to not return the feeling exactly and you know i mean let's face it he said this back in in akamath you know he's the monster right nobody loves right. the monster and he still deals with that because no matter what no matter what other people say to him he still he still yeah. has this image in his own head of himself and Let's face it, he has self-image issues, don't we all? Right. But, we I also mean, get this weird allusion, too, to, like, 
your his dad being a crappy dude and Cassian mm-hmm. having to be like, you're not your dad, man. So, I mean, some of his self-image issues definitely comes from his, like, how he feels about his own dad, too. Exactly. Exactly. So I think, you know, I mean, it's just, it's an interesting thing. Uh, the chapter ends with Reese winnowing out to his meeting and Cassian standing there waiting for him to leave. And then we get to chapter three. We just told from Cassian's point of view. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say, I really like Cassian's point of view. I do. But at the same time, this chapter is kind of weird. And well, Kim, explain why. (laughs) It's weird because Cassian pretty much as soon as Reese is gone, takes off for the skies in a really badass mood. Like he's he's in a pissy, pissy, pissy mood. Yeah, he's a moody tootie. <laughs> oh boy, is he. And, you know, he he takes off and he's, he's angry and he's frustrated and he's not a happy camper at the moment. So he starts flying and he flies to the one place that for whatever the reason, whenever he's in this kind of mood, this is where he goes. And it was the camp slash village slash whatever where he was born that his mother is from and well was from and you know when he finally was old enough to be able to come and check on his mom he found out that those assholes in that village basically worked his mother to death and then they just basically tossed her off the side of the mountain when she died and so Cassian's response was to get any innocent, especially women and children, out. And after that, he pretty much raised the town and killed everybody. No two shakes on that one. He was like, fuck all y'all. I'm out. And he's he talked, you know, this is all this chapter is him flying there and him, you know, talking about his temper and losing his temper right. about it and how does he control it. And as he's going, he does pass by Ramiel and I'm gonna the, the important parts of this I'm pulling out are yeah. more because of what's coming in the next Right, right. Oh. His then, chapters definitely are more closely linked and giving background that you need for Silver Flames. Yes. Because as he's flying uh, in this chapter, he passes Ramiel the Sacred Mountain, which is the heart not only of Illyria, but the entirety of the Night Court. None were permitted on its barren, rocky slopes, save for the Illyrians, and only once a year at that during the Blood Rite. And he talks about how it's different. He goes, different, mount, different. the mountain was so different from the barren, terrible presence of the Lone Peak in the center of Prithian. Ramiel had always felt alive somehow, awake and watchful. And then he talks about how he'd only set foot on it once. It was when he did the blood rite with Azrael and Reese. And they had scaled its side to reach the Onyx monolith at the summit. And as one, the three of them reached out and touched the monolith together, winning the blood rite and becoming full-blooded warriors. And he talks about the blood rite itself. And again, this is important information for what's going to happen in Silver Flames. Um, so I, I, 
I mean, it's important. I kind of want to tell you guys about it, but you know what? I don't because I want you guys to read it. And I want you guys to understand yeah. how it is. And when we get to Silver Flames, I will come back and reference this and be like, I told you to read it. And this is why. So that's kind of where I am. I, I was going to at one point, but I just was like, fuck it. Y'all, y'all got to go read the book. Go read it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, chapter three. I mean, this isn't going to kill you. Um, as he does think about what As thinks about this whole blood right thing. And As is like a week of pointless bloodshed. Because the Illyrians use it to settle old scores. Um, you know, just petty bullshit kind of type stuff. Right, right. Um, but as Cassian acknowledges, he says, you know, the blood right offered an escape valve for dangerous tensions within the Illyrian community. Better to settle it during the right than risk civil war. Illyrians were strong, proud, and fearless. But peacemakers, they were not. <laughs> so again, all all information that's important. Right to this um you know when he gets he gets to this you know the village the village that he had been born in that his mother died in and he talks about it and he's like he still doesn't regret the fact that he literally destroyed this village and raised it and killed all those people it it's kind of disturbing to think of cassian being like that though like we never yeah well I think it shows a duality that we were not privy to up until this moment. Right. So it's interesting because like there were two paragraphs that I highlighted and it's because they're kind of the, <laughs> like I said, the opposite sides of the same coin where like he talks about like how he like, you know, did go after everyone. He says when those who had been responsible for her suffering and torment had been dealt with, no one had wanted to remain here a moment longer. Not with the shattered bone and blood coating every surface, staining every field and training ring. So they'd migrated some bending into other lending into other camps, others making their own lives elsewhere. None had ever come back. And centuries later, he didn't regret it. And I feel like that's like, wow. Yeah. So dude really just like went ape shit. Got it. Good to know. But then like a page later, a couple paragraphs later, he says he'd wanted to bury her in Valaris, somewhere full of light and warmth, full of kind people far away from these mountains. Like that's why he's so upset is because he wanted better for his mom. Even if that meant he couldn't do anything while she was alive, he had wanted to come back and, like, give her, like, a good funeral and, like, a place he could visit and, like, know that, like, you know, she was taken care of. And because he didn't get that, that's why he's, like, so PO'd about the whole thing. And, like, I just think that that, like, this is more the Cassian we know. This is more the, you know, uh, you know, fuzzy bear guy <laughs> that we think Cassian is. But it's like, we always knew he had like, you know, oh, he's a Lyrian. Oh, he's strong. Yeah, he's got a temper. But like, we had never seen that temper. This is just the first time we're seeing it. And that's why it's like kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I mean, I just think it's interesting because, you know, as he talks about his mom, all he could recall, a lilting soft voice and gentle slender hands. And that was all he had left of her. Yeah. Like, memory of that and so the fact that yes he came back and he destroyed this place um, because of what they did to her but at the same time he came back because he wanted her yeah and you know he wanted to have her 
somewhere warm and safe and you know I don't know I just thought it was interesting I think it's interesting because like I said it just proves <laughs> it's gonna sound dumb but it's like the backstory we didn't have right. for why Akawar went the way it did like exactly. You sort of saw the Nesta and Cassian stuff coming, but like it's so bizarre in like the the way it it comes out in Akawar, where it's just like the really random, like really deep things he says to her. You know what I mean? And then the really weird way that she just was like, mm, "Guess we're gonna go, we're gonna go together," and you're like, "What?" Like all of that feels wild. But yeah. when you start to get this backstory of him, actually, it sounds like right on brand. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he cares about her. Like, he probably, like, this is a good example of the way he treats his mom is the way he's going to treat his wife's situation. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, like, that's why we like them together. That's why we like the way he is with her. Because, like, no, he actually was always a good mama's boy. Like, he didn't really get the chance to be a mama's boy, but he loved his mom. You know what I mean? Very much. Very much. And, and, it, and it really shows a, a, a different side of Cassie and that we otherwise don't get to see. So I, yeah. I really enjoy that. Anyways, the chapter's ending. He's like three days. He had three days until he had to go to Valaris. He would try to make them count. And that is the end of chapter three. Chapter four. I just, I don't know. <laughs> this chapter. This chapter. Mm, okay, we're just going to get into it because this chapter is weird for other reasons. <laughs> is weird because it feels like this storyline we're about to open up feels like it sort of has nothing to do with the rest of the book it does but it's vague (laughs) this this is like that plot in those hallmark movies where you're like "Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm clearly we're gonna do something with this later and then we like kind of fucking don't and we're like but why? (laughs) Wait a minute. We invested a lot of time into this. Like what? (laughs) It's fine. Hang in there. I can reassure you that it does come to play somewhat in Silver Flame. Well, thank God, because it definitely feels like a uh, weirdly forced plot point in here. Um, and I'll explain why, again, doesn't really happen in this episode, but like in next episode. It's because it it functions like Feyre of Akamath or Akatar, not like Feyre where Feyre is in this book. I don't I don't disagree, but yeah, I can see where this would be. This this is gonna have. Uh, I well, I don't know exactly, obviously, because okay, like we've explained this before. I know all of Silver Flames because of the internet. I have not read word for word Silver Flames yet, so sometimes there are little details I don't know, and so I don't know that I can see how this is definitely gonna play into um, Silver Flames like in a big important way. But I can see how this is going to get referenced in the future of these characters, if that makes sense. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't play into a big plot point of Silver Flames. However, it does get referenced. And the thing that I think even you forgot is it's how she honors her promise to the Surreal. 
yeah, I, I think that's dumb, but yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying this, perfect, I'm just saying. <laughs> like I said, it just feels a little contrived. Anyway, okay, so we're going to get into it now instead of me beating around the bush. Uh, long story short, this is a chapter where uh, we finally figure out like why Feyre is skulking around. Um, so... <laughs> Feyre be skulking around uh, the rainbow, right? Um, it's like, like I said, it, it's, it's you know, your winter wonderland situation. And she's like wandering around. She's looking in the shop windows. We are window shopping. We are thinking about buying gifts for people. We are not actually buying gifts for people. We may get to that in a minute. Right now we are just window shopping and we are thinking and having feels, okay? Which like, I'm here for all of that. But I do understand that this is a novella and we could have cut some details and um, actually made it novella length. Anyway... <laughs> Um, Feyre's doing the thing where she's like, oh, look, pretty windows, pretty stuff in windows. Oh my God, remember when all these windows were busted out because shit was happening and going down on the rainbow? Yeah, like it's, we're doing that again, friends, where we're yep. like, have good moment, bad moment, all in the same moment. Yes. Uh, to the point that at one point she catches herself staring at her own reflection in the window of a store. And even though she had every intention of going in and buying stuff in there, after a minute of staring at her own reflection and thinking all of these horrible, sad, awful thoughts and memories, she realizes that she is staring blankly through this window and that now everybody in the store is basically staring at her. And she's like, well, this is awkward. I was going to go buy that thing, but I ain't fucking going in there now. And she just leaves. (laughs) I can laugh, but it's kind of sad. Um, but it's also kind of funny. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, she does make a note, like, kind of just generally, like, how she's feeling kind of about, like, all the high ladiness of it, because, like, uh, it is different from when she was in the spring court and she was, like, you know, gonna marry Tamlin and she, like, had a place, but her place is basically to be gawked at, you know what I mean? Um, and, and just to be, like, aw, Tamlin's sidekick for lack of a better word and so it's different yeah so like it's different like this is more like how remember back in Akamath when she was like it's interesting because they all like know who Reese is and they all like look at him but they don't like stare at him they don't make him awkward right and that's kind of what she's noting here is like oh like people like recognize me people look at me but for the most part people like aren't super drawn to me I can just like shop like a normal human (laughs) Well, normal thing. <laughs> and uh, she does know, you know, this is where we get a little background too about like, well, what has she been up to? She kept mentioning her work. What the hell is her work? She, uh, one of the things she does is she and Reese actually host like a weekly. <laughs> Why does she word it? What does she say? We, uh, I, we hosted a weekly open audiences at the House of Wind. Um, they have bitch time. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> they have uh, leave your comments in the comment box time. <laughs> Where oh, you know what it is? What? Understand what? Oh I my say god! That. You're about to say it. <laughs> it's public comment time. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, you have to understand. You have to understand because of how what we used to do for work, we had to uh, often what? watch meetings. school board meetings. 
and there was like a set time called public comment and guys just like go google like any like any like got like local government or school board or like wherever you live like go look for the videos on youtube i guarantee you there's like gold in there it is so fucking funny to listen to people just like come and say their random shit that has nothing to do with anything and these public officials have no choice but to be like mm, uh-huh thank you thank you for your time <laughs> issues were all like yes fair but right. you get some random person coming up and they say stuff and you're like huh yeah there's yeah. a whole god i will never be able to find it again but one time my mom accidentally ran across like a host of youtube videos that was like not where we live but it was like some random town in the middle of nowhere it was like their like, you know, government by their, you know, board of county supervisor or something like meeting. And it was the same thing. And it was the funniest shit ever. It was so funny because it was like, it was, it was like clips together from the meeting that were like people's weird ass fucking comments. And then also like the weird shit that the public official said, you know, and it was just fucking like hilarious. Like people thought it was a skit and they were like, no, like this is real life. <laughs> like <laughs> a real meeting. So yeah, that's why it was like the way you were talking about. It. I was like, no, no, uh, uh-uh, uh, nope. Yeah, these, these public sessions they would have. It's like public comment time. Right? <laughs> yeah, so they do that weekly, and Feyre and Reese are like both there, and Feyre kind of says that like it's interesting because it's not like you know flashback to the Supreme Court. It's not like with like the tide or whatever where she was just like fucking there and like didn't have a say. But at the same time, it's not like he's putting her on the spot. It's just like oh, like. He's used to handling these. So he has these people come up and they talk and then he asks them follow-up questions and gets the information he needs. And then he gives like, you know, a very like fair, you know, response. And, uh, you know, if it's something that involves Feyre or Feyre has an opinion on it or whatever, then she's like, welcome to talk. And like, it's just like very, you know, (laughs) comfortable and, you know, (laughs) how it probably should be. Um, but one of the things that has spiraled from this that has given her work to do is that sometimes people can't come to these meetings so they like write letters and she found out that Reese actually responds to every single letter and so she has started taking on some of these letters and also getting letters of her own that are actually addressed to her so that's like one of the things that you know all that shit piling up on her desk is letters that she's been neglecting to respond to <laughs> How many of them has Reese neglected to respond to? My dude. Yeah, I thought that too. I mm, Yeah, I know. I was like, this sounds like an impossible task. <laughs> an impossible task that I don't think either one of us wants. I mean, I know what it was like. Like, you know, we'd go away for vacation and you come back yeah. to like 5 million emails in your inbox. And yeah, you're like, exactly. So I can't even imagine. Yeah. Um, and then she also talks a little bit about how, uh, basically like what I said earlier, which is, you know, Valaris is rebuilding and the people have basically like come together to do the rebuild, but there's always going to be like some sections that end up kind of neglected or, uh, the, you know what I mean? Like, it's not that Valaris doesn't have enough money. It's by no means like a poor city, obviously. And like Reese is like richer than God. So like he would do whatever he had to do, um, to get things rebuilt. But like, you know, it, it, there's just always politics and feelings and, you know, typical, you know, town 
shit. And <laughs> she <laughs> references basically um, like how her sister, this is where she explains that Nesta basically lives in the only quote-unquote slum. And by slum, I definitely mean that quote from that 70s show where Jackie's like, yeah, I went to the ghetto and bought weed. And <laughs> I was like, what ghetto Jackie? Like, there's that one house on the corner that needs to be painted. <laughs> and that's <laughs> basically what Valaris is. There's like one old ass building and Nesta found it. <laughs> and basically she points out that like, this is why I was like, wow, again, people hate this book because it's real life. She says... There were only a few blocks in the city like that. When I'd asked Reese about them, about why they had not been improved, he merely said that he had tried. But displacing people while their homes were being torn down or rebuilt? Tricky. And I was like, wow. Again, if you've ever sat in on any kind of like public meeting about like building new businesses or townhouses or like a right now uh I just saw that where I used to live not where I live now but where I used to live they were doing like public comments on whether or not to turn one intersection into a roundabout and it was turning into a whole fucking circus <laughs> I'm just saying like uh again this book gets hate and I think Reese gets hate for you know I don't know we've talked about this before and it, like not to go down a rabbit hole but people complain about like Reese being I don't know like a shitty leader and like a shitty guy and like why doesn't you know he treats his people weird or something I don't know I don't really understand the argument but uh I just thought this was interesting because I think this is a one of those examples where I think people go like well if he's so rich and he's so great like then there should be like no poor people in Valaris and you're like okay first of all this is a fictional place fuckers <laughs> um if we're gonna pretend it's a real place then there are real politics involved which is sometimes what you look at and think oh that looks like a slum and it needs to be taken care of the people who live there would disagree with you exactly exactly and so that was basically the point of that is that why does Nesta live in kind of a quote unquote crappy part of town because that crappy part of town wants to be crappy <laughs> like not crappy but you know what I mean they don't want the change for one reason or another. They want things how they are and they do not want to be displaced. And that is a fair statement. Absolutely. Uh, we also get a whole thing about her is like, oh yeah, by the way, like I said, have I mentioned we are richer than God. So uh, Reese and I like made a list of charities we're going to donate to. And uh, I just want to point out that, you know, we're richer than God because the amount of money that we're donating to these charities is more money than I ever thought I'd have ever. <laughs> and it's just like, cool, cool. Thanks for reminding me I'm poor. Anyway. Write <laughs> on their list, please. Right. But anyway, uh, back to what she's doing, which is all of these thoughts are happening while she's skulking around the rainbow. And she has again, like a moment where she says, but even amongst the bright colors, there were patches of gray of emptiness. I approached one such hollow place, a half crumbled building. It's mint green paint and had turned grayish as if the very light had bled from the color of the buildings shattered. 
indeed, the few buildings around it were so muted and cracked, a gallery across the street boarded up. A few months ago, I'd begun donating a portion of my monthly salary. The idea of receiving such a thing was still utterly ludicrous to rebuilding the rainbow and helping its artists, but the scars remained on both these buildings and their residents. Right. And the mound of snow dust rubble before me. Who had swelled there? Worked there? Did they live? Had they been slaughtered in the attack? Like, yeah. She's, like, having a moment where she's like, yeah, like, we're trying to do, like, all this good but, like, no matter what, they're still going to be, ugh. Pretty much. Like, there's still going to be more. Yeah. Anyway, she's looking at one of these buildings that's, like, falling down, right? And she's like, did God, like, <laughs> did the people in it survive, right? And then all of a sudden, there's a woman behind her who says, they got out in time. And she recognizes the voice. Do you remember the lady? <laughs> standing outside her shop door like yeah like ready to like beat some adder ass (laughs) pretty much yeah this is she (laughs) we all wanted to be yep yeah yeah exactly the one that was like i ain't running you bitch yeah that one yeah she's here um and she's talking to Farah, and Farah is just like you know obviously that causes some ptsd for the moment and she's like oh like they made it out i'm glad to hear it and you know the woman kind of bows her head you know acknowledging hey like you're the high lady (laughs) and they kind of have awkward like back and forth and it just kind of comes out to you know Farah saying like oh you knew the people who lived here and she says yeah like they they are fine they just moved to like their family's farm or whatever and which like don't even get me started like there are farms in the night court I don't know (laughs) like I mean I guess I knew there had to be but I'm very confused about the logistics that makes two of us (laughs) and uh, then Farrah's like, oh, good. Like, I guess that's great. And then she, like, starts to point at the other buildings. And I'm like, mm-mm, no, mm-mm, stop asking. Like, all those people died. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, no, this is not about to go well. Uh, and so, yeah, she points to one that, like, had been previously a gallery. And, yeah, that one did not end well. No. Um. And, you know, Fairy's all, oh, I'm so sorry. And, you know, the fairy's like, well, you know, like, it is what it is. Uh, and she points out, you know, this building that you're staring at for an awfully long time, it is for sale. And Fairy's like, Psh, a gallery? What, what, what would I ever do with, like, some sort of, like, art studio place? Like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, it's very awkward. Um <laughs> And then Feyre goes to introduce herself because it wasn't already awkward. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not weird at all. Yeah. Anyway, the fairy introduces herself. Uh, I was calling her Resina. Is that not what you were calling her? What were other Resina. people calling her? Resina? Resina? Okay, that's fine. Works for me. Anyway... Uh, she, you know, says like, Hey, like, I'm actually, you know, like, great, like, glad we met. Um, I'm one of the artists who uses the studio space, like over there, over yonder. Um, you know, if you ever wanted to like, you know, paint some shit or something like, you know, come on over. (laughs) Not with us. 
<laughs> and Feyre's like, yeah, I don't know about that. And she's like, like, finally, she kind of just like levels with Feyre and she's like, we remember it, you know, that you came for us that day. We keep away to let you have your privacy, but don't think for one moment that there isn't a single one of us who doesn't know and remember, who isn't grateful that you came here and fought for us. Because at the end of the day, a lot, again, like it's easy to forget the order of events. She showed up at a time where she did not have to. Exactly. Like fact, she and Reese to go back to the townhouse. Right. And she and Reese weren't like in a place really yet where this was like a solidified thing. They were newly mated. Like, yeah, this was not necessarily like a full-blown, like, everybody-knows thing. Like, she didn't have to show up, and she did anyway. Uh, at the end of this very awkward conversation, she finally is like, so, like, if I did show up to paint stuff, like, what do you paint? And her response is great. She says, the things that need telling. I love that. I know. And then we get a snowflake, because this chapter just won't fucking end. And... <laughs> ultimately we uh continue our shopping trip in case you forgot that's how we started was window shopping and we are now shopping uh because if we don't get some gifts soon this is gonna be some one fucking stupid christmas party (laughs) (laughs) more shows up because like what is a shopping trip without your blonde bff and she comes in and she's like, ooh, like you should definitely get that thing over there for Amarin. She would love you forever. And it's just like cute and whatever. And uh, they go shopping. It's like a, you know, very typical Hallmarky shopping trip. Like, well, oh my God, what should I get? What are you going to get them? Am I supposed to get it? They just basically talk about who's getting what, right? Uh, and like who you shopping for and basically we get the first incident like the first clue that maybe more is not great at shopping <laughs> because like or that she likes to shop but that she's not a good gift giver is what I should say uh, because she basically is like I don't know what you should get them because Faye was like do you have any advice and more is basically like I don't know I kind of noticed that everything I buy them ends up in a drawer I wonder why <laughs> <laughs> But since we're shopping for Amarin, back on Amarin, uh, Feyre does say, like, well, don't we feel like Amarin deserves something nice this year after all the bullshit that just went down? And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's probably a good point. And then Moore's like, so, speaking of Amarin, like, is she bringing Varian to holiday dinner or, like, nopes? And Feyre's basically like, well, she got really fucking awkward about it when I asked, so I'm going to assume that's a yes. (laughs) The, we don't know if they're bringing their significant others, so we're, we're going to assume they are. Because yeah, we so we're going to set a plate, but if suddenly we realize they're not there, we're all going to make eyeballs and somebody has to go get the plate the fuck out of there. <laughs> like, hey, yeah. At least they're all magical. They can just like snap their fingers and it'll disappear. Yeah, so I guess it's like less awkward than in real life. Fair, fair. They do the whole, well, what do you want for a gift? I don't know what you want for a gift. And 
it's cute. You just got to read it is what it is. You know, they're funny about it. Uh, there's a weird moment where Feyre's like, so like, uh, you know, what do you want? Because you've been like kind of weird lately. You've been spending a lot of time at Rita's. Are you going to bring somebody? Should I get somebody else a present? And it's like, wow, Feyre, can't come on a little stronger if you could. Um, <laughs> and Moore's like, nah, bitch. And then it's like kind of implied that like, nah, bitch, that's why I am irritable. <laughs> like, if I did have somebody to bring to dinner, I'd tell you, but I don't. Stop asking about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so then we go back to talking about presents and about how Moore has bought Asriel basically a knife every fucking Christmas or solstice since we can remember. And it's like, why? He literally only uses truth teller, you dumb bitch. <laughs> what, what else to get the poor man which i have right. to would be what do you oh, guys I mean, yeah like? he'd be held a shop for yeah i don't know what if i would know what to buy that poor man me either i yeah nope not a clue in hell and uh well, we get yeah, the fact I'd that a, i'd get him a puzzle box one of those boxes that it's a puzzle Ooh, take... there you go know have to get him something like that because i'd have to be like well I, you don't need anything so here yeah well we pretty much learned i'm not sure how i was supposed to construe this line but i construed it as cassian is just excited to open any presents uh <laughs> she says you could honestly get cassian a new knife and he'd kiss you for it <laughs> i was like i get the feeling that man just likes the dopamine of opening a present <laughs> Well, yeah, but also as the general, he does like his sharp, pointy things. True, true. Um, but anyway, we small talk about presents some more, and then more is like, by the way, I know we've been talking for a really long time, but there's a real reason I'm here. And Faber's like, are you fucking shitting me? We've been talking about presents for like an hour. Like, what? <laughs> and Moore says, we're to head to the Hume City tonight. Faber says, we... As in all of us. And she's like, you, me, and Reese at least. Why? <laughs> and she says, tradition. Around Solstice, we make a little visit to the Court of Nightmares to wish them well. And there's like a little bit of back and forth about how that makes no fucking sense. And <laughs> finally, Favor just calls it like it is and says, so you and Reese decided to tell me hours before we go. <laughs> And basically, Moore just says, well, Reese told me to pick when we were going to go. And I decided I don't want to, like, ruin Solstice over it. So I want to get it over with. And then also, I found out that Eris is going to be there tonight. So I definitely, like, want to fucking ruin his good time. <laughs> and my dad's. Yeah. <laughs> Farrah was like, bet. And that was the end of the chapter. <laughs> So that uh, gets us into like basically what Akafas is. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's it's like it's kind of all over the place. The beginning is very much like Hallmark esque of just like setting up like wintry stuff, but uh, with added PTSD that you don't normally see. <laughs> Hallmark. So instead of it being the regular Hallmark channel, it's Hallmark um, movies and mysteries. Mysteries, yeah, I feel that. It, yeah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or like, what is that one? Oh God, what is that one network that's like a little edgier? <laughs> the Hallmark, shoot. 
what is it? It's the one that used to be ABC Family and it's not. Anyway, yeah, point is, is it's, yeah, it's, it's, this is the holiday episode, but uh, we have a lot of characterization happening. Yes. Yes, yes. I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is a novella, but, uh, you know, it's also written by Sarah J. Mass, which means it still has a lot of words and a lot to get through. (laughs) So today we got through one through four. Um, We're going to do slightly longer chunks here out. So your episodes are going to be slightly longer for the rest of July, just so that we can get through A Court of Frost and Starlight before August. So you be warned. Um, but wrapping up this episode, we do have some songs for your playlist, as we always do for our Akatar episodes. Um, and we also have one TikTok. <laughs> so the TikTok of today is uh, by Bella's Bookmark. And we will put that in our show notes. And she basically summarizes all of Akafas in 90 seconds. <laughs> I'm impressed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's comedic, obviously, and obviously does not go into a lot of the uh, plot points that we are diving into for obvious reasons, but it's hysterical and I fucking love it. Yay! So, yes, go check that out. Uh, And then, Kim, what are your songs? So I only have five songs for this episode. Um, I'm not going to lie. Yes, there's a heavy Christmas music theme. It's going to happen the whole month, so everybody just buckle up on that one. <laughs> um, I did try to have some fun. The next episode has a really fun song that just made Kelsey totally crack up. Um, we've already talked about some of the songs for the next episode, and she just she was in love with it. Um, so the first song is First Snow by Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and it's Reese and Feyre in the beginning where they're doing their whole chat and acknowledging that it's snowing outside, and oh, it's snowing, we're going to have a white solstice, so there's that. Uh, Song two is It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. I'm going with the Pentatonix version, and it's when Feyre's walking around shopping. Uh, in the first little bit when she leaves before. Uh, and I love the pentatonics. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I also have, so I also have um, Jingle Bells by Frank Sinatra. It's actually my favorite version of Jingle Bells, but I like yeah. it because it has a nice jazzy version. It's a lot of mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. And it really fits the whole solstice decorations and setup going on around all of Valaris. So, you know, check out your J-I-N-G-L-E bells. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> um, and now I love that verse. I really do. Um, it's the first time in a very long time that I was like, oh, I actually could listen to Jingle Bells and like it. Uh, <laughs> and the fourth song is Winter Wonderland. Again, pick whatever version you want. I wonder why. Yeah, I wonder why. It's winter and it's like all decorated and pretty um i'm gonna go with the jason mraz version you could pick anybody truly you all like i have i think kelsey knows you don't understand how much christmas music i have but like my spotify christmas playlist alone is like 14 hours i think yeah something like that i remember you telling me that yeah I like Christmas music. I like Christmas. So, um, 
Anyway, pick pick your version. I'm going to go with Jason Mraz, but you could also go with Pentatonix. You could go with Michael Bublé, for that matter. I mean, I love his version. There, there really isn't a version out there I don't love. Um, but those are, we have that. And then I did pick, and I'm not sure how to pronounce this because it's Gaelic, and I'm going to butcher the hell out of it. Um, but I'm going to go with Andrakoid. Um, sure. Andrakoid. Um, a N Chovies, anyway, A N space D R O I C H E A D, and it's by Liam Flynn and Mark Knopfler from uh, a fun band from the 80s. So, if you know Mark Knopfler, he's he's a pretty cool musician, does some cool, cool stuff, anyway. Uh, and it's the whole Cassian flying out to from Windhaven out to the village that he raised for his mother, like in honor of Mama. Um, so those are our songs for this episode. Um, yeah, yeah. So basically, we had to dive in and give you the beginning of Agafast today, which was, uh, like I said, the uh, Christmassy special bit where we just uh, like reiterate a thousand times that Christmas is coming or the solstice is coming and it's uh, wintry and we're having PTSD. Uh, but next section, we get uh, more pieces of weird and not sure what to do with information like our visit to the human city. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i would argue it's not until the second half of this that we actually get into like the crux of why this matters i agree but there are little tidbits that pop up all the way through to the absolutely point. absolutely um as i have said with crescent city i will admit with this book it's not that this book isn't important it is not that this book doesn't have good points it is not that this book isn't adorable because it fucking is okay it's fucking adorable but I do understand why there were some people who DNF'd it because, like I said, it does not really pick up the point until easily halfway in. And asking your readers to read almost 100 pages to get to the point is a lot. It's like, kind of that. a lot. Yeah, yeah. So we admit that if you're like wrapping up this episode and you're kind of like, what is the point of this? It's okay. We'll get there. Um, not for a little while, but we'll get there. <laughs> So yeah, bear with us. It's I swear it's like worth it. There are some really cute moments. There are some really important moments. Um, and I think there are a couple of really, by the time you get to the end of it, there are some really big key elements to characters that are, I think are going to be like wicked important for Silver Flames. Yeah. And it kind of gets you to some plot points that are important in Silver Flames. Yeah. Okay. So with that, uh, if you have feelings or um, Christmas songs you want to add to the playlist, <laughs> send them to us. Uh, remember, you can find us anywhere on the internet uh, with uh, two A's, like Saturday Mass's name, Massive Fans, all over the place. Website, MassiveFanBookClub.com, Facebook at Massive Fan Book Club and Podcast, Twitter at Massive Podcast, Instagram at Massive Fans Podcast, Pinterest at Massive Fans, and TikTok at Massive Fan Pod. Highly recommend you go follow us on Facebook. Uh, we've been kind of getting more followers there, so we're doing a little more chatting there. People are leaving more comments there. It's fun. It is. We're enjoying it. Like I said, yeah. we, love, we love hearing from you all, so wherever you want to reach out to us, please do and uh you know 
between Kelsey and I, we do keep up and engage with everybody. Yeah. Um, right, right now, Kelsey's a little bit better about it than I am, only because I'm kind of up to my armball, my eyeballs. Yeah, and... she's like busy commuting and stuff, so she like can't be on her phone while she drives. It would be deadly. <laughs> also, up to my eyeballs and kids because I'm a summer camp director. Also true. Also true. <laughs> okay. And well, it's a twelve-hour days. I mean, I'm a little tired when I get home. Yeah. I feel that. I feel that. Man, what I wouldn't do for some hot chocolate and some snow days. Anyway. Uh... <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> snow days. Right, right. Oh, my God. Okay, well, I guess that's about it. Until next time. Okay, bye. Bye.